Normally there's like a weird um, intro. Mm. What happens in the week? Do you do something with your xylophone? Oh, right. I got a new thing. Wait a minute. I'll be right back. Mm. Just, uh, just wait. Glad I reminded him of the xylophone. Yeah, thanks. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great feature, the xylophone. Um, well, I think it's a glockenspiel anyway. I should use the correct terminology. You should, yeah. It's worse than that, though, Raf. Uh, is that a harmonica? Yeah. Welcome to The Clueless Critic. I'm Kevin Nikolai. With me today is... John Riley. Hi, Kevin. Hi, John. How are you? Good. I'm excited about today's episode. You seem really up for it. I am. And Raphael, are you there? Yeah. G'day, Kevin. G'day, John. Good, good. I'm here. How are you, you guys doing? Good. You see any parrots or wallabies over there, Raph? I see parrots everywhere all the time. Nice. Haven't seen a wallaby yet. Nice. I ran over one. You ran over a wallaby? Yeah, but it was already dead. Oh, uh, well, that's not as fun. <laughs> I, I... <laughs> and it, and it, it's going in the it, it, <laughs> Maybe. It, it was a horrendous noise and a horrendous sight through the rearview mirror. Oh, my gosh. That does sound kind of bad. It was It was nasty, yeah. Mar it's really marsupial yes a marsupial yeah yeah it's yeah. kind of depressing driving in rural australia because it's just like a litany of roadkill oh, dead man. wombats and wallabies everywhere you ever mm. run over a parrot no no thank god they're cleverer than that hopefully okay this yeah. week on the podcast uh we are doing not week interval interval it's been a while uh, <laughs> yeah this week on the podcast we're doing funny pages from 2022 directed written um by owen klein uh and this is a john riley pick and um yeah when i saw that name owen klein i thought i don't know who owen klein is and but i looked him up that's kevin klein's kid Yes, oh, that was Phoebe Kate's kid. As right, well. right. So that that was a little bit surprising. Kevin Klein happened to go to the same weird British monastery high school that I went to, and I oh. I, was, I, I acted in the first stage performance in the Kevin Klein Theater. Um, so I have that weird connection to Kevin Klein. Our we have the same alma mater high school. Is that the alma mater you got? Did you get suspended from because you climbed on the roof of the chapel? <laughs> No, this was after I graduated. I got arrested for climbing oh, on the roof. Oh. <laughs> arrested, all right. Arrested, right. a little bit different with right. eight of my closest buddies. Well, uh, in yeah. a way, I was hoping we wouldn't mention Kev uh, Owen Klein's kind of famous family. Oh, yeah. But, I, mean, I mean, I'm glad you did. We'll edit that out. Sure, but sure. No, no, but I'm glad you did. <laughs> but, but I think he is someone who maybe could have just coasted on the fact that he has successful parents and that kind of thing and maybe just being in some drippy romantic comedy if he wanted to act or something like that but um owen klein uh from a young age he was in that film the squid and the whale that i've never actually seen he was in that when he was a kid but he he got into that because he wanted to see how a film was made so like the contract or the agreement actually said but i get to shadow the director and shadow the cinematographer and see what they're actually doing mm. Then, when he was older, he went to work for Anthology Film Archives, 
um, where it's just a huge archive of American avant-garde films. So he was like restoring um, stuff by the Kukar brothers. If you know them, they did Hold Me While I'm Naked, mm. um, <clears throat> which they showed to us um, uh, when I was a film student at UEA. And he also, do you know who Harry Smith is? You might know as a music person, Raf. Harry Smith was, no, I don't. I was thinking of a big band leader, but I don't think that's right. Harry Smith was uh, just this really eccentric character. He lived in the Chelsea Hotel in New York, like all those Warhol superstar type people who I like did. Um, and he just collected folk music. So eventually they released this Harry Smith American anthology of folk music with just all of this rare hillbilly music and all this kind of stuff on it. He also made animated films that kind of have like a Terry Gilliam aesthetic and stuff like that. But anyway, um, the point is, Owen Klein like restored all that stuff and took care of the archives yeah. of these people. So he's not someone who's been coasting on the fact that he's has yeah. famous, successful parents. He's very much been doing his own thing. And and you think that might have been a little bit thematic to the movie itself, with a kid coming from a rich parents, um, <laughs> you know, and him like trying to get like not going through that path. Yeah, a four, I, way, a four year college. I think it is. He no. said this was a self critical film. I'm mm. hoping he didn't actually invite someone like Wallace round to <laughs> to Kevin <laughs> Klein and Phoebe Cates's house to, um, to stab his friend. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, what a great scene! What a great scene! <laughs> But it's also, it's a character that Owen Klein had been thinking about for a long time because he also, I haven't been able to get hold of them because I think you have to, you know, you have to like know comic book stores and things like that. Um, but he draws comics as well. And so mm -hmm. uh, the protagonist of this film was in a was in a comic like years before, just like a two-page kind of, I'm imagining almost like a Robert Crumb-esque kind of, short thing about him mm -hmm. living in the boiler room so mm -hmm. this character and this stuff has been like on owen klein's mind for a lot of time i think mm. right and and i i read that owen klein was like kind of into zines and xerox comics and so mm -hmm. that was kind of like part of his uh persona and i you know i kind of identified with that i like to make my own little comics and little you know, silly Xerox books of crap. Um, yeah. Are they published by a reputable university press? <laughs> Sometimes they get published. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So aren't you going to ask me why I chose this film? That's how I start every episode, John. So why on earth did you... This this specific film, like, was, in some ways was an assault on my senses. I liked it, but why did you choose this film that you knew would kind of attack me because <laughs> well, it does attack you quickly I, in this film I, I feel i suppose it does yeah <laughs> but i i think we looked at a lot of kind of well known in in kind of cult film circles things right like picnic at hanging mm -hmm. rock and um, yeah oh, it's so long ago i can't remember what other things we've done but things like dario argento and things like that they're mm. great lost horizons yeah lost horizon it's frank capra they're quite well known in certain circles whereas this mm -hmm. is a brand new film it came out last year yeah and yeah. it's it's an a24 film as well it is what does that mean i don't know what that means a24 the the production company okay and have i yeah, seen... they've, they've made all sorts of things okay uh, it's yeah. it's hard to think 
off the top of my head what they have and haven't done. But if you've seen yeah. something that was maybe a stylish RT horror film or something oh, like okay. that that came out in the past few years, or more of a kind of mumblecore film about young people stumbling around without mm-hmm. much direction in life. Mm. If you've seen things like that, chances are they were made by or and do they, distributed by A24. Do they, um, does A24 like always shoot in like 16 millimeter? Well, no, or, they don't. That okay. was also no. Owen Klein's okay. thing, right? So if you're asking me why I love this film, it's a new film, but it has exactly my sensibility, right? Straight away you see it's 16 millimeter, which I just think looks great they're talking about tijuana bibles which i used to be kind of obsessed with not to the degree i expect Owen Klein is but you know those things are like they look like uh chick tracts mm. but they've just got popeye mm-hmm. like podgering olive oil and things like that and then they they come from the 1930s and it starts off with a discussion about that so i already thought this mm-hmm. is great and then you've got like the faces of the of the people apart from our protagonist robert everyone's mm-hmm. like comically weird looking they look like comic book characters very much so they look like comic comic mm-hmm. book drawings don't well they? yeah especially the character that what cheryl the public defender like says hey draw this guy for me real quick mm. when yes. that guy comes in yes. you're like oh that what a great guy to draw just that face yes. is fantastic mm-hmm. yes and and the bloke who uh he moves in with too oh yeah oh such in, good in the hot room. Yeah. yeah 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 and that as well <laughs> the, the sweatiness and the kind of like urban grime ah. and the fact that it's this young idealistic person i was gonna bring a photo of me when i even looked a little bit like him i'll, I'll find it later and show you i see the I resemblance I, I wasn't the main on, character John, who did you look a little bit like robert like robert I the main character i wasn't oh. always i thought a- you met the sweaty yeah. guy in the hot room well, that's who I look like now. I wasn't always a sweaty middle-aged guy in a boiler room, like reading pornographic comics. I was once that's I just did, at Solbridge. I was yeah, just at Solbridge where I work. Now, I, once I was this kind of idealistic young man. I'll find the photo later and show you. And so that shattered kind of dream that the idealism that appealed as well but they're talking about comic books they're talking about wfmu my favorite radio station it's just packed with little things that i really love and so often um i mean i really like sort of this genre right but so often like you you think about a film like Ghost World, it's kind of similar, right? Mm, I thought about Ghost World. But it's, yeah. but it's very aestheticized version, right? And mm. the, t- the teenage misfits are played by, like, mm-hmm. conventionally beautiful Scarlett Johansson and things like that. Whereas this is mm-hmm. it's got a real sense of grit to it, mm. I think. And it's hilarious. Absolutely. And yeah. it's hilarious. It's honestly one of the funniest mm. films I've ever seen. That climactic scene with the accidental injury... I just was mm. screaming with laughter, which <laughs> possibly tells you a lot about my personality. Mm-hmm. So it's for all those reasons that, yeah. I, that I picked this film. By the way, I mentioned we mentioned A24. Yeah, yeah. So I've just I've just brought up a list of some of the other stuff. So they did they did Men. They did everything, everywhere, all at once. Oh, the most awarded um, film of all time. Right? Oh wow! That and was they bad. did Marcel. Marcel, the shell with shoes oh, right, on. Right, right, right. Hmm. Well, I'll be. Yeah, so they're much more slick, you know, conventionally slick productions, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they do all sorts of stuff. Yeah. 
I did feel like they did well with the the grittiness and just like choosing that uh, guy who plays um, Robert's friend Miles. Like you know, he has like oh. the acne scarred face, and even you know Wallace. Yeah. I mean, that guy's like a well known oh. serious actor, but you know, he yeah. looks so bizarre, and he's playing up the weirdness of his face in every mm-hmm. expression. That guy doesn't always look like that at all. He's yeah. like he's like famous and not no. at all that weird looking, but he just plays it up with the way he contorts himself. It's interesting. I only realized later that I'd seen him in other things. And, yeah. And of course, yeah. he was good in those things, but he wasn't this memorable, mm, strange no. person. Yeah, I think this might Matthew be... Marr. Ma- Matthew Marr. Sorry, Matthew Marr is the actor's name. Yeah, yeah he's brilliant in this. He's brilliant it, in this. I hate to plug the competition, but there's a great interview with Matthew Marr on uh, the Back to One podcast with Peter Rinaldi, and he really talks in detail about all his beliefs in acting and things like that. He's, he's a very... Um, well, he's just the complete opposite of Wallace, the character that he plays. Mm. Are they the competition? How many views do they get? Um, well, they our, our competition. They're put out by Filmmaker magazine, so probably a lot, a lot more. A couple more than us, right? More. Yeah. It's funny. I got some message from the podcasting host that said, like, we were like the ninth most popular. Um, uh, podcast on movies in Australia, and I'm like, that oh. that can't be true. Oh, wow, <laughs> I'm like, that what? can't be true. <laughs> like, our, our, that's our, all me. <laughs> that's just that's, no. a, that's just me and my family. <laughs> I thought that was funny, though. Um, should we briefly summarize mm. the plot of this film? That's not very important, John. I don't think that's why people come to the podcast. Yeah, no. I think most of the time people come here because they've already seen the film and kind of want our take on it. But we can yeah. very briefly, I think. Well, so so you have this guy, Robert. He's a young, idealistic guy. Mm. And uh, his teacher dies under mysterious circumstances. No, not mysterious. You see it. I don't know why I said that. Why are <laughs> no. circumstances always mysterious? Just under very unfortunate <laughs> circumstances. And it's very yes, embarrassing. Very sudden, shocking. Yeah, it's sudden, it's shocking, it's embarrassing. So then he... Um, he goes to get his teacher's stuff because he knows it's going to be thrown away. He gets charged with breaking and entering or something like that. And then he just decides he's going to live life his way and move into this basement and hang out with unusual people instead of going to a preppy school like his parents want him to and all that kind of stuff. So that's basically it, right? Right, right, yeah. Is that... Yeah, the level of brevity. Ba- basically, for sure. Yeah, he and he meets like Wallace guy who worked at Images Comics, which is a real comic thing. The guy Todd McFarlane who did Spawn, um, he was the the head of Image Comics. So uh, they kind of like tie it into real life mm-hmm. a little bit, almost to the point where you like wonder, is there like a weird guy like Wallace who worked at Image Comics? You know, I like felt a little bit, but I was like, well, yeah, probably not. But yeah, it was interesting. It, yeah, maybe it kind, of, it kind of pulled me in more that they had that touch point that I kind of recognized that um, that comic book studio or whatever. Maybe it's a composite of different people or something like yeah. that. I hope there isn't just one person like that. I, I, I do think I want to I talk a little bit about the beginning of the film with Mr. Cantano mm. and like like it starts out so aggressive with like him like going draw me naked and like this big fat old guy yes. like stands up in front of a, a child yes. like a 17 year old high yes. school student and he's like drawing him and then he's like that was weird was it weird and then he like see him die right and it's so I don't know it's so okay it's cringeworthy the nudity is cringeworthy yeah. him saying did I make it weird and then the way he dies is cringeworthy like it's all I don't know cringeworthy but yeah, like, it's, uh, it's, aggressive, abrasive yeah, to my it's senses. Shocking, that's for sure. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's a very startling 
start to the movie. We get to see a grown man nuding up in front of a uh, but, his student, I suppose. But something about that, of course, uh, mm. that would be an awful thing to do, um, and all that. But something about it, like I didn't, cr- you know, sometimes you cringe in a film because you think, oh no, mm. this person's right. about to no, do something I, yeah. truly yeah. awful. No, no, true. And and there's something about him doing it, it has an innocence to it. Yeah, you're right. It's just you're like, right. Yeah, just yes. draw me naked. It's not a big yeah, deal. Yeah, yeah. So I, I didn't cringe yeah. in the way that I was bracing myself for something really abusive and horrible. Right. Um, and then yeah. and it's a it's a no holds barred sort of scene it's like it's not a beautiful conventionally beautiful male figure that is is nuded up in front of him is it so we get to see you know the middle-aged man with the man boobs and he talks about his body and then we cut to we don't see you know that part but we see uh robert drawing it mm-hmm. you know i just wanted to look it's, yeah, I just wanted to look up on behind the scenes of our little podcast just here for a second. Mm-hmm. So I kind of we we kind of do two. We we normally watch two films and then and then review them one after the other. Yeah. So we kind of planned two films on this this time, and one of them was this one. And I look up like a quick synopsis, like cartoonist, like you know, mm-hmm. is interested in being a cartoonist and runs away to away from home because sort of thing. And I looked up the other one the other film that we were going to watch and had a much darker, like, um, you know, guy goes on a shooting spree and I'm thinking, and I watched both films and the guy goes on a shooting spree, not anywhere near as disturbing to me (laughs) as like a cartoonist boy runs away to Trenton, New Jersey. And I'm like, Oh man. True enough. So, so I remember being just like, like how well done I felt the visceral sense of experiencing the movie and liking that and, it always brought, brought it up a level. It made me love it more. Mm-hmm. In the end, it made me love yeah. love my full ride from start to end with it. So, I've definitely enjoyed watching Funny Pages like more every time I've watched it. Mm-hmm. I've watched it three or four times now for oh, this, wow. and and the last You're time was today. Now. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I loved it. I loved it. It was it it was hilarious, but but very darkly. I mean, the cliches would be what uh, quirky, yeah. um, off kilter, or something offbeat—a quirky, offbeat black comedy or something. I don't know, but um, yeah, I've enjoyed it more and more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's got some shocking scenes in it, um, but but like John saying, they're not shocking in in a in a I don't know in a real nasty way. They're they're sort of confrontational, but right, they sort of make sense. Right, right. I I guess the stabbing of Miles. I don't know if that makes sense in, well, in a way. I mean, in, Except in a they've way, cornered. Yeah, they've cornered well, Wallace, haven't they? Really? They really did. I mean, I mean, he's a very yeah. obvious character. That I mean, I mean, yeah. Robert makes all these bad decisions. Like right yes. away when he meets Wallace, he should know like how disturbed he is through the, you know, he's meeting him at a yes. def- public defender's office, you know, That's about right. and, he, and all the mental problems he has. So there's all these obvious problems with Wallace that in a way he does corner him. And yeah. Right. And he doesn't really want to talk about his drawing and his art. He doesn't really want to go and, you know, yeah. litigate that whole part of his life. But sort of Robert kind of forces him to, doesn't he? Hmm. Yeah, it it on that note of that part being really shocking, um, I did listen to Owen Klein talking about the film and he did say there was other stuff where you see that Miles is getting patched up and that he's basically 
fine and the parents are angry and all that kind of stuff but it just seemed to flow more to to have Wallace beating him up and then him running into the comic store oh nice ending by the way that was just mm -hmm. a nice yes. like yeah reflecting processing ending about what the heck just happened to him that mm -hmm. was fun reminds me a little bit of the long good friday if you've ever seen that mm. you just raf have you seen that one you just i don't no. want to spoil it because it's amazing but you just get to see bob hoskins reflecting mm. and processing on something very profound for several minutes while this mm. kind of saxophone music plays it's really really good excellent it's really really good we might do a what's it called again john the, the long good friday one? The Long Good Friday. Might do a future episode on that. Long, oh, The Long Good Friday. Sorry, yeah. I, I heard something. Not to before. be mistaken. I've heard of that. Yeah. Not to be mistaken with The Long Kiss Goodnight. Ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Gina. Gina. Gina, Gina Davis. Davis Sam, Sam Jackson. Jackson. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I watched that film. I thought it was ridiculous, but I loved it. I thought it was so funny. Such a funny, weird action film. This stuff in 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 the boiler room, I just absolutely oh. love because it's so oh, it's so sweaty, and there's something yeah. about that guy, the uh, Barry, the landlord. Barry, God, yeah. Um, yeah. There's something about him. I don't know why it's so funny, but his friend downloads movies and puts them on a seat on like a DVDR for him because he can't kind of do that himself <laughs> just, things, yeah. just yeah <laughs> just that whole kind of and they're old movies like i like to think i know yes. pointless old-fashioned movie trivia i just never heard of whatever it was he was talking about i keep meaning to go and check what that huh. film is that he's watching and what they're talking something about. with robert wagner in it or something wasn't it yeah something like i, I think so mm -hmm. yeah i keep meaning to go back and, mm. and watch it just to just to be a um super fan of this film well, that's the other kind of, um, I don't know if it's shocking, but kind of shocking scene is the uh, is the two sweaty gentlemen uh, in oh, their room yeah. enjoying oh, them, turning their bodies into amusement parks. Yeah. <laughs> They're jerking off to Mr. Katano's artwork, right? Yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's yeah. like there's like 1920s cartoon jazz playing out of the speakers oh, while they do. And it's yeah. so hot in there. You can feel the heat. Yes. It is so hot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we've all been there. <laughs> I mean, when this kid, like, goes from his, like, rich house to, like, Trenton to, like, live in a basement bedroom with another guy, like, you know, mm. it's like... Yeah. You're like, oh, my God. You're like, what are you thinking? So I, I like I like being taken down into that basement. I felt that was really really good at capturing that moment and just feeling these life choices kind of build, build into this Trenton basement. Do either of you get that feeling that you just want to go and kind of live in a basement somewhere? <laughs> not with somebody else. No, I mean, <laughs> yeah, not, not with some guy. Not with no <laughs> when it's really sweaty yeah. and there's some guy slapping off in there. Named Steven. But that you I'm, don't even know is in the room until after you've agreed to pay your three hundred fifty dollars a month. <laughs> yeah. But I suppose yeah. I suppose what I mean is we're um we're all people who've kind of just the three of us have all kind of up sticks and just gone to live in a different country without that much of a plan without knowing many people there and that kind of thing and it is kind yeah. of that impulse that he's that he's following isn't it yeah it's just yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's just that that going and living in in 
South Korea from a Western country is mm. often romanticized in our culture, whereas just kind of going in to a different town where you don't know anyone and living in a basement is mm. <laughs> understandably not. Yeah. But it's the same basic impulse, I, I think, yeah, that yeah. he's, yeah, I that think he's so. going for. I've definitely walked in on weirdos masturbating before in, in places I've lived. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. Uh, and the other way around. Oh, ah, yeah, it's happened to me plenty of times. Yeah, sure, sure. It's a relative. We all have our own friend Barry or Stephen that we sometimes like to watch jazzy cartoons with. <laughs> it, it's a relatively. Um... Oh, isn't there a part as well where he just offers him a glass of wine and he drinks? He drinks like from the same glass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he feels and like hot. Yeah. This deep sense of yeah. disgust when that yeah. happens. <laughs> but but them them slapping off is like a very in a way it's like a slapping minor off. it's a minor part of the film isn't it it's just oh, yeah. it's just showing that this situation has become totally untenable right there's no grimy charles bukowski <laughs> romance to living in this basement and being an artist it's just you're trapped with these serial masturbators oh and, and there's that bit at the start where he's like um there's a fish tank and he's like where's the, yes. where's the fish and oh, yeah. I, f- I forget the other fish ate it sorry <laughs> the and then and then just as he's escaping from that whole situation <laughs> the, fish. the fish kind of comes flying out and you don't really see what it is do you? right right it's like the one sort of cartoonish moment as yeah. if he's got some monster living in that tank yeah it's the one kind of like out of daily reality moment of the film mm. I love that. I love that scene. I have a lot of fun with that scene. <laughs> uh, I had a lot of fun with with the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah. this this is quite a um, a film dominated by its male characters, right? It, it, it feels yeah. that way. But then you got Cheryl yeah. Cheryl, the public defender, who's quite an interesting character. <laughs> and then you got a cameo from Louise Lasser, who's a former Woody Allen associate from like the time of Take the Money and Run. Right? Did you do you know who I'm talking hey. about, Raf? She's the one who's interviewed. No. She's interviewed near the end of Take the Money and Run, and she calls him a schlemiel. That's oh. Louise Lassen. She used to be romantically involved with him as well, but she was wasn't a public figure, as far as I know, for decades. You know, she was just doing her own thing. But then she's that older lady in the pharmacy. Oh. That's, All right. Yeah, that's her. And what, oh, that's my favorite line of the movie. What a wonderful part, right? It's so. Yeah, when she says, "Get me a Percocet, you schmuck." I love, <laughs> yeah. I love that line. Yeah. It's so funny. <laughs> yeah, she's brilliant. It's, it's... Oh, that's her, is it? I didn't recognize yeah. that, John. Yeah, there's yeah. a few um, familiar faces in it though, mm-hmm. in this movie. Like his mum and dad, obviously. They're both familiar. And also the um the guy who speaks at his funeral. Oh yeah. At Katana's funeral was very familiar to me. I haven't looked it up, but mm-hmm. anyway. Um You know another another detail I love. 
because he said it was a self-critical film, right? And his parents actually researched the kind of comics that he liked and got him this expensive-looking set. And he's like, oh, I've got the originals. Mm, yes. I've got the originals of these. But while he's doing that and the whole thing with mm. Wallace coming to the house and creating all this chaos, he's wearing, like, these stripy Christmas elf pyjamas <laughs> that yeah. really don't suit him and just make the whole thing... I don't know, just ex they kinda of offset the darker aspect of him. He's just wearing these goofy elf pajamas the whole time. Okay. Um yeah, so let's jump on over to the quote because I just brought up the quote. I, I said, Was was the lady in the pharmacy? That's Louise Lasser. Okay, that was my favorite line. Yeah. Uh get me a Percocet, you schmuck. And I think it's just so funny, uh, for like a for a few reasons. One is, like, an old lady wouldn't call it Percocet at, like, a pharmacy. She'd call it, like, Oxycontin or whatever the official name is. That's, like, the street drug name, right? You wouldn't call it Percocet. <laughs> you wouldn't ask that for her, I don't think. And then, and then also, like, there was so much of the movie that, like, felt like 1970s. And this was, like, one of the moments that I felt like brought me to the present. Oh, that's a modern drug. Okay. We are in the mm -hmm. year. We are in the year 2022. Mm -hmm. Right. It does have the look of an older film, doesn't it? Yeah, there wasn't kind of. much clues for mar mar modernity, I don't think. Um, no. I think it's just the way it was written. I mean, he, mm. Robert himself, he's more obsessed with 1930s comics and cartoons and stuff like that. He's not someone who's on TikTok or whatever, you know, so he doesn't himself really engage right. in, in... Do you know what I mean? He's not a very digital person himself. So then he wasn't texting his friends or whatever, and he doesn't really have too many friends his own age apart from Miles, does he? Yeah. So I think, mm. and maybe Owen Klein just wrote it that way as well to focus more mm. on the. Uh, so I mean, we live in this digitally connected world right now. We know this, we accept it, but sometimes it is kind of tedious. Something I was watching recently, and the characters are kind of texting each other back and forth, and you're seeing the text kind of pop mm -hmm. up on the screen mm -hmm. and it just doesn't feel very satisfying as drama when you're actually mm -hmm. texting your friend it's fun but when you're seeing that mm -hmm. as popping up on the screen it doesn't feel very cinematic mm -hmm. or satisfying mm -hmm. so I guess they were trying to just get away from that mm -hmm. I read a comment this is not my original thought but I read a comment from someone they said that the, they didn't feel that there was a, a, a single entirely likeable character in this film Right. What do you think about that? I, I mean, I think that's. I just think that's such a shallow thing to say because no, mm. no one's likable, are they? We're all dickheads, mm. but we're still interesting. Yeah. Right. We still try to be good mm. people. Yeah. And I don't mm. think. I don't think. You know, Wallace is a. Yeah. Wallace is a maniac, but he's got problems, right? Sure. He's not just a. Yeah. He's not just a willfully bad person. Right. Robert's. No. Robert's young and naive. He, right. Yeah. He oh, treats his friend oh, terribly. He does. Yeah. He'd be kind he's of terrible to Miles. Yeah, and Miles is very sort of sycophantic as well. Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean I, I'm just saying, this is what I read and I thought about it. And I, I agree with you, John. Like, I don't have any particular problem. But it is, I think it's kind of a cool feature of the film that no one's, yeah. no one's sort of cookie cutter, good guy, bad guy, whatever. Everyone's, yeah. it's just a, a bunch of flawed, kind of specimens you know 
Yeah, and and they do kind of do a bit of a reversal, don't they? Because when his parents mm. are lecturing him near the beginning, you're like, yeah, right on, teenage boy, stick it to those stuffy old parents. And then when they're buying him expensive comic anthologies and stuff like that, and he kind of repays yeah. them by inviting an unstable person <laughs> around who starts smashing windows, you're kind of like, well, you know, I would ground this boy as well, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. He, so, he is very he's immature and and dickish yeah. in the film. Yeah. Like I think Often. I think I would probably acted the same way toward my best yeah. friend when I was 17 at times just cuz I was an idiot, you know? Like like I feel a little bit of jealousy. I'm going to attack like some minor uh, you know, achievement that you've had. So that's what I'm going to do mm-hmm. cuz that's how I feel on that day. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. That's that's where my mm-hmm. brain goes. Yeah, I think we I I know I did stupid stuff like that as well and I'm pretty sure I did like nothing quite as bad as inviting Wallace around but I'm pretty sure I did things to annoy my parents which I don't think I'll share on the podcast you know the story I know one story (laughs) you know the story (laughs) so basically there's a story our listeners may as well know where I masqueraded as a drug as a knife wielding drug dealer in order to terrorize my family and then then at the last moment I revealed that it was in fact me and not a knife wielding drug dealer was this like at night time and you were loitering outside in like a balaclava or something Um, no it was in the daytime and I had a a a tea towel kind of wrapped around you know when you see those people from like the (laughs) Mexican cartels and stuff and they're kind of covering the lower half of their face with a bandana so I had a kitchen tea towel tied around my face in that style Um, anyway my um, I don't think my family have ever fully forgiven me for doing that nor should they (laughs) how long did it last the terrorising you know was it just a couple of minutes or did you really you know there was a uh, it's a seven year period there was no no there was a there was a there was a build up to it and then but then it was just a couple of minutes where I actually physically appeared to be a drug dealer um, yeah. well, anyway, I'm glad this recorded for posterity. Nobody was forcing you to tell no, that story. No, I know. I wanted to share it. I wanted to share it because now I'm saying that I'm yeah. realizing how many, on how many different levels I identify with this film. You know? uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know something? I remember as as a kid, we did have this really dank basement. Um, <laughs> And there weren't any guys jerking off in there, thankfully. But I remember, did you ever, as a child, just like, oh, I hate my family, I'm going to leave home. But then you realise you're a child and you can only walk around Mm -hmm. the block because you've been told by your parents you can't. Mm -hmm. So I did something similar, but I was like, I hate you all, I'm moving into the basement. And then... I you just, didn't have a basement. Well, we did have a ba- We had a very dank, <laughs> disgusting basement, which I sat in watching Smokey and the Bandit 2 and eating cornflakes. <laughs> Living the dream. I mean, I say basement, it was a cellar, you know, like it, it's like stone oh. floor and walls. You yeah, know what right. I mean? It wasn't like, a finished basement with no, uh, it's like a de- satellite television in there. No, no, no I, I, like, I think I took a spare television, like a tiny oh, little one you. that we had. With a with like an analog aerial that wouldn't tune in properly, and watched a very staticky mm. TV broadcast of Smoking the Bandit too, mm. which coincidentally is my next pick. I'm joking, obviously. Okay, okay. Actually, 
Did you guys have a quote? Did you guys have a favorite quote? Give me a per- percocet, you schmuck. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was the question. <laughs> that was the question. You know, I didn't have a favorite quote. It's just Miles's scream. It's oh. honestly the funniest. Oh, that thing is. Oh, it's a great scream. <laughs> that is the good. That's what? Well what about I you, Raph? I liked it, the whole thing with the ducks when he talks about the ducks and he says, 15 is still kind of old to be reading the ducks. <laughs> I kind of thought that was fun. Yeah, and yeah, also but... in that same scene, more serious quote, though, um, I suppose, no one in this room is an artist. You don't just get to be an artist. Mm. I kind of like that from Wallace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, again, right, two things since I'm being mm. all uh, spilling my personal... Uh, cathartic things i still read mm. the ducks i love carl barks and mm. don rosa mm-hmm. um as you know i think i brought some of the comics around here yeah, yeah. so i still read the ducks uh and also that's kind of sometimes my attitude and i've i've been deliberately contrarian and confrontational with people mm. about it um mm. because when people have occasionally Raph, you're a musician, but when people have occasionally said, I'm a musician, I've kind of responded with, well, I go yeah. to the gym. Does that make me an athlete? Do you know what I mean? But but right. that idea... Yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's why I like the quote, because it cuts straight to that issue, you know? Yeah, um, yeah that idea that, that you don't just get to be this by... Yeah. You know, even Wallace, who spent his life working for Image Comics, isn't yeah. an artist or... Do you know what I mean? Like you don't. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a good quote. Well, and, and the follow up yeah. of that quote isn't isn't Miles kind of refute, refuting it by like saying, okay, maybe yeah. he failed, but he failed with all his heart, and like, and yeah. and then Wallace is like, in care, <laughs> something like that, <laughs> and you're like, he's you just see something the, about it's got soul. Yeah, he, yeah. He, you he see, believes the, it has soul. You see the whole argument there between Miles yeah. and Wallace, who are at opposite ends, which is why yeah. he had to get stabbed in the head with a pen. And the, that's right. The issue is solved by being stabbed in the head. That right. solves uh, that that argument. They had a negotiation. What, what about the double feature? Oh, the double feature. Mm. Can, can I go, go first? On. Yeah, go on, go on. Go, go Sorry, on. John. Well, I, I like this one. Um, I, I think American Movie. Oh, nice. The documentary is oh, a good double feature with this. It's not comic books. Right. But it's... it's it's, a it's that passion. Real life. It's that it's that basement living feel. Yes. It's that everything to be an artist nutso. Yep. Thing. And yep. it also has one of the best screams ever when Mike Shank is recording those screams and he just goes <laughs> like a maniac. <laughs> yeah. And and you hear yeah. Mark Borshard say, "There was wicked man in that strange <laughs> Wisconsin accent." And it's also got some great quotes in it, like. Is that what you want to do with your life? Suck down peppermint schnapps and try to call Morocco at two in the morning? Man, that's senseless. <laughs> I love that line. Anyway, so American movie. That's that's my choice for a double feature. It's a great choice. You know what I'm going to say for mine, right? No, I don't. Spike of Bensonhurst. <laughs> oh! Because, you know, he's, he's an idealistic young man, but he kind of gets involved in all this... Uh, other stuff it's got that grimy it's new york city rather new jersey but it's got that like grimy feel to it do you know what i mean Mm. of graffiti Mm -hmm. and do you know what i mean so spike of bensonhurst (laughs) i think it's a perfect fit actually it's also a film where people have complained that 
that there aren't really any likable characters, right. which, which I, I mean, suppose there aren't. Uh, and another yeah. film, this time a New Jersey film, which also doesn't have any likable characters, Welcome to the Dollhouse by Todd Salons. I've seen that. You've yeah. seen that? Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. 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 I, don't, I yeah. don't like Todd Salons' other stuff. I, I dislike <laughs> yes, everything right. else that he did. But there's something about Waiting for the Welcome to the Dollhouse, the awkward... Uh. Um, Heather Matarazzo's like awkward teenage mm. face and yeah, yeah. The, the teenage awkwardness of yeah it. that hit a nerve that, 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 that really mm-hmm. got to me so those are my two what, what's yours Kevin? well it made it made me think of the documentary on Crom and the, the comedy yeah. about um, the other comic American Splendor I don't know if you guys have seen those two American Splendor yeah it made, me, it made me think of those but those are two kind of tangential um, mm-hmm. maybe kind of obvious ones. So I was, I was trying to think of, of something, uh, that, that it reminded me of and somehow maybe the lobster, something, mm, the if, lobster. You saw, if you saw the lobster, oh, I yeah. did see it. I, I don't, yeah. I don't know exactly why. Um, it's something about the, the oddness, the oddness of it. And I, maybe, maybe maybe the way I had a visceral experience to like the ending sequence of that um, though it's, it's very different it's like fantasy weird science mm-hmm. fiction bizarro-ness but uh, it did get into my mind it's also, I can see that. Yeah, I can see that. It's also a film, The Lobster, where they cast some very unusual people. That might be. Um, yeah. As like obviously, it was a bigger movie, so they've got Colin Farrell and Rachel Weisz in there. But um, I can't remember the actor's name. But Keith from the UK version of The Office is in there, like mm. a very very yeah. large guy yeah. with an impassive expression on his face and this very slow way of talking is it maybe that as well the way that people talk in this quite slow deliberate naturalistic way that might have been it too yeah yeah Yeah. i also wrote down a king of comedy for some reason like you were just talking about spike (laughs) bezenberg for recycling back on like king of comedy came back to me Mm -hmm. while while thinking of it it was maybe the chase for fame or um I'm like seeing the bad decisions like so obvious. Eh. I don't know. And, yeah, and and eh. R- Rupert and Wallace are quite unstable characters in different ways. Right, right. They kind of eh. and, and like just like kind of latching on to like this is my one opportunity. I gotta go through it through this guy. Mm-hmm. I don't know. They they both like see like there oh there's this one path. I don't know how else I'm gonna become famous. I can only do it through this one person, and I'm gonna be reckless or that person's mm. crazy. I love it. Yeah. One of my favourite films as well. Yeah, yeah though yeah. in those two films, that's my sense of humour, King of Comedy and, and uh, this one. It, it's just my sense of humour. So it, it's a perfect double bill, Kevin. Okay. You, you win. Okay, great. Yeah, that it's a that's a great one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, I like Spike, Spike Bensonhurst, so that's, that's a fun <laughs> It does fit. It does fit. <laughs> okay. Is that everything then? Is there anything else we need to cover? Well, there is something else we need to cover okay. because, Kevin, you know, normally I. <laughs> Good. You know, normally uh, I read out a mix of um, real and imagined correspondence. Oh, yeah. Most of which is real. Occasionally I embellish something a little bit. But we had a long break, right? So we didn't get any correspondence, real or imagined. And um, it seemed controversial when I was saying I didn't really like Jeremy Irons, right? <laughs> yeah. So I want to introduce a new feature called Jeremy's Lines, where I tell you something Jeremy Irons once said. <laughs> so in 2013... Hey, 
Hang on, Jeremy Irons from Moonlighting that we talked about. Yeah, yeah, because when I said I didn't like him, you guys were like, oh, why? Well, I I don't actually dislike Jeremy Irons. It's just, uh, I just want to do this anyway. (laughs) It's Jeremy's lines. (laughs) So in 2013, for some reason, an interviewer in Jeremy Irons got onto the um, subject of gay marriage. And Jeremy Irons... Was like, uh, you know, I don't know because could a father not marry his son? And uh, and the interviewer said oh. said, well, I don't know about that, Jeremy, because I think that's incest. And Jeremy said, <clears throat> it's not incest between men. Incest is there to protect us from inbreeding, but men don't breed. <laughs> and oh, the, the okay. reason he said that he was concerned about a father marrying his son is because it would it was to do with like the inheritance tax uh, okay or something <laughs> Jesus what a weirdo and it's a rather weird thing to say isn't yeah. it Oh, yeah. Isn't it funny, like, the stuff that anti-gay marriage people come out with as arguments, like, you know, like that. They always go to, like, is someone going to marry a goat or something? That'll be next, you know? So, like, okay, now, so if we allow gay marriage, dads will marry their sons and people will marry goats and that's what's going to happen, obviously. Um, well, I guess... Thank you, Jeremy. I Ayers. guess it... I don't know because I've, I don't know because I've been here so long, but maybe it's when they were actually realising marriage equality in Britain and that's why they got onto that. Uh, okay. It seems like a strange thing to ask Jeremy Irons. It does seem like a strange thing. <laughs> <laughs> He's like not the authority on the, on the subject. I do like Jeremy Irons acting. Um, yeah. Yeah, we got Moonlighting. Uh, we got the recent Watchmen TV series, where is Ozymandias? We got Danny, the champion of the world, uh, the Lion King, Scar, yeah, yeah. Um, famous, famously evil gay character. Maybe that's why he feels so, so bad about gay. <laughs> <laughs> you've heard that. You've heard that before, right? That, uh, that Scar, that Scar's being like played up as like an evil. Uh, gay. I know, I haven't. Oh, you haven't? I've, uh, I've, I've heard that. I've heard people try and compare The Lion King to Hamlet, but I've never mm. heard that before. Um, one of the big differences between Lion King and Hamlet is that The Lion King isn't four hours long. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it doesn't There's end. No intermission. The, There's it no doesn't intermission. There's no intermission. handful of differences. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, is it time to uh, discuss what the next pick is? It is. What is the next pick? It's Raph. So this pick. This is my turn, and I believe, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I've I've picked a movie that's completely different to Funny Pages, and also I don't know why I've gone for another '60s film. Um, I've chosen a movie called Targets hmm. from 1968, directed by Peter Bogdanovich, um, and it stars. Boris Karloff, interestingly. It's a kind of, it's a, I guess it's a thriller, I suppose. And it's not a particularly well-known film, I don't think. It's not obscure. I wouldn't say it's obscure. But it's like uh, a, a sort of, I don't know, a bit of a sleeper in a way. I, I think it's an interesting film. Right. And I'd be I have interested so to see what you thought of it. Hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, this is so what I, targets. This is what, I, what I hinted to earlier when I said a guy about mm-hmm. on a shooting spree. Targets, right? Great, great. Okay, and we'll discuss that next interval. I can't wait. Okay, thanks. Hey, hey, hey.
Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. See ya. Thanks for listening. Okay. And we're out. We're done. We'll call that it. All right. Hey, fun. Good, good. That one well. Felt like a good episode, right? Yeah. Outro music was provided by Homeless Sky, and intro music was provided by me, Beatrice Nikolai.